Today on Ag News Daily. So a nematode is a microscopic roundworm. Actually, not just microscopic ones. We work with them microscopic, but it is a roundworm, and most of them are eat other things. So the vast, there are millions and millions of nematodes in the world. Good afternoon and happy Tech Tuesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined here by Delaney Howell. Delaney, it's only Tuesday, but it's been quite a week for me. Yes, Ashton, it certainly is. It feels like there's just always a lot to get done, kind of dumped right on your plate as you head into Thanksgiving week here. But things will slow down a little bit later on this week, and then you'll be eating turkey and happy as a clam. I know. I'm very excited to be eating turkey. And then I have a, a wedding this weekend. So I'll have a rehearsal dinner Friday and then a wedding on Saturday. So it's all going to be, you know, a fun filled weekend. But then I've got to get right back into the game there because I have finals and a couple of other things to wrap up the semester just before Christmas break. So I'm a little stressed out. So I'm ready to take a break for those couple of days. Thanksgiving wedding is a very unique time to get married. I thought the same thing, but then again, my friend Kellen, who's the one getting married, is a very unique girl, so (laughs) I'm very excited to be celebrating her and her fiancé, but I did indeed think it was unique as well, and we're going to be eating fried chicken at the wedding, so it's Mm, a little quirky. (laughs) I like it. Well, Delaney, other than talking about food here, really, what other news topics do you have to talk about today? Well... This is a little bit strange since I feel like we're well past harvest now, but we did have a one more crop progress report that came out yesterday afternoon because North Carolina farmers still have about 30% of their soybeans left in the field. And while they're not a big contributor to the U.S. soybean crop, they are still chugging right along here. But as of Sunday, the USDA pegged the entire United States corn harvest at 95% complete. And soybean harvest also at 95% complete in the wheat parlor. We saw that 44% now in good to excellent condition, down 2% from a week ago. And I also wanted to add here, as you look at that winter wheat that is in drought, you know, that has really been contributing to the rally we've seen amongst other things in the wheat complex. So that continues to be the leader on the Chicago Board of Trade, even into today. And we've also seen Australian wheat up 10 to $15 per ton, as well as they're having some weather issues there on their shores as well. So U.S. harvest isn't completely over for everyone, but pretty close for most folks. And to add on top of that, Delaney, we're at about 75% of cotton harvested. Whenever I was flying back into Lubbock on Saturday, I actually shared a story on our Instagram and Facebook. We could see up from the plane a couple of those bales. And they're typically, I feel like, most popularly wrapped you know, in yellow, I guess, tarps. I've never seen them up close. But you could see little bits of yellow across the cotton fields. So they're getting in there, at least they're in the panhandle and wrapping things up, it sounds like. But other than that, I wanted to talk about 
meat and poultry processing facilities here, Delaney, kind of switching gears here. Back in June of this year, it was announced that there was about $55 million um, that would be going towards the Meat and Poultry Inspection Readiness Grant Program, otherwise known as MPIRG. And Secretary Vilsack announced yesterday that they are now investing 32 million of that original 55 to grants awarded to 167 meat and poultry slaughter and processing facilities to, of course, support that needed capacity and efficiency through this program. So that's just some good news there. 167 meat and poultry slaughter and processing facilities. That's quite a bit that's going to be added to our country there, Delaney. Certainly is Ashton. And we're talking about supplies that are getting added. The White House confirmed today they will release 50 50 million barrels of oil from the U.S. Strategic Reserve to help alleviate energy prices since crude has sold off the past couple of days as traders were awaiting that announcement. Also, on the ethanol side of the balance sheet, Scott Irwin of Illinois, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champagne, was quoted as saying that the black ink has all but erased the bad days of 2020 brought on by the pandemic, as he's stating that ethanol is here to stay again, and we're finally seeing ethanol in the green and making profits. He said that the 2021's profit margins will top the record returns from seven years ago, but because of the incredible ethanol oil ethanol price spike that occurred in the last four months of the year, they should be pretty close to topping that seven-year mark. And so as folks are getting back out there, economies all over the world, including the U.S., are trying to get back to normal. It appears that ethanol and oil are doing their part here to add back to the economy. And, you know, as you look at the change in the economy. Inflation has been a top concern by a lot of folks, Ashton. And, you know, for the most part, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts on inflation. I don't know that I fully understand it yet, but I'm getting there. And a big component that a lot of folks are worried about, of course, when dealing with inflation is things like gasoline prices at the pump, but also food prices, which is where most consumers will see inflation prices, just meaning that their dollar isn't going to stretch quite as far as it once did. Well, this year, according to the American Farm Bureau, they estimate that the average American is going to pay about 5% more in costs this year for their average Thanksgiving dinner. And they're saying that no, inflation didn't suddenly sneak up on us. This has been brewing for a while, but because of high transportation costs and commodity prices, as well as labor shortages and Fickle trade policies, these have all added to the increased costs that consumers might see at the grocery store this year when paying for that Thanksgiving meal. But Ash, and I've got to admit, last year during Thanksgiving, I had COVID, so I already had a turkey stocked up and ready to go. 
Well, Delaney, I honestly don't know if we're going to be having turkey or ham or really what the main course is going to be this year. My family is kind of all over the place. I don't think we're really prepped and ready for the Thanksgiving holiday this year. So I'll keep you posted there. But while we're kind of on the topic of turkey, I do have a bird flu update as we've seen that Slovakia be the latest country to report an outbreak of the H5N1 strain. And this outbreak, I think, is a little bit different because the virus was detected in 14 backyard birds in southeastern Slovakia. So that's just the latest update I have going on here. But I thought this one, you know, of course, was a little bit different because I don't think we've seen a case of backyard birds. It's really just been um, those commercial flocks that we've really seen come down with bird flu. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Ashton. So it's going to be a good one to keep an eye on there. And, uh, you know, the other thing I was keeping an eye on today was the markets, and we saw cold storage reports. Note that supplies have jumped about 8.5% for the month, while USDA pork cutout values are down about $4 from Friday, and that did not seem to weigh very heavily on the livestock markets for today. What do you say we hop over and check out where markets left us? Well, Delaney, I just had one other story that I actually wanted to talk about today, and it's coming out of Russia. I'll keep things short here so we can hop into the markets. But Russia reported that they are going to be resuming beef and pork imports from 12 subsidiaries of Brazilian producers starting on November 25th. And these have been restricted since 2017 due to alleged use of the feed additive ractopamine. So in order to kind of stabilize inflation, it sounds like, and improve domestic supply, Russia is going to be importing once again uh, from Brazil those beef and that beef and pork. Well, actually, I wanted to add one more thing to you, right? I'm glad you mentioned that story because I also saw today in the news, Ashton, that poultry demand has also surged in China because African swine fever, you know, really increased prices over there about 60 to 70 percent, and poultry feeding margins have unfortunately still been in the red for those folks, even as we saw China import record numbers of poultry. But all in all, that certainly does help support our livestock, excuse me, that certainly does help support our uh, grain markets as a lot of folks turn to increased feed needs. But Ashton, I tell you what, that's really all the news I have for today. What do you say we chat markets here really quickly? Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Well, we certainly saw the wheat complex continuing to react to news worldwide that we may not have as much crop this year in all complexes of the wheat pits. And that really continues to lead the rallies that we saw mixed today in grains. So December Chicago wheat up 10 and a quarter cents today to close at 8.56. The March up 10 as well to close at 8.67 and a half. Corn also followed the leader today with the December contract adding three and three quarter cents closing at 5.80 and a half. The March up four cents closing at 5.88 and a quarter. As you hop over to look into the soybean pits today, they showed just a little weakness today as the January contract Lost a penny and a quarter to close at 12.73. The march down a penny and three quarters, ending the day at 12.84 and a half. In the livestock complex, the December live cattle contract added 97.5 cents, closing at 135.40. The February added 45 cents, closing at 139.42 and a half. 
And in feeder cattle today, the January contract had some pretty big moves to the upside as they added 267 to close at 164.37.5. The March up $1.57 to close at 165.67. Lean hogs saw a little bit of mixed trade today as the December contract shed 50 cents, closing at 74.15. The February up a quarter, closing at $83.27.5. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures, December down 8 cents today to close at 18.34. The January down 22, closing at 18.77. Ashton, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Well, today we are talking to Carl Schiller of Farinim. Well, today we are talking to Carl Schiller, who is the co-founder and COO of Farinim. Carl, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Ashton. So before we get started really diving into Farinim and the technologies and products that you guys have, I want to talk a little bit more about you because on the website, you have a quite a bio, I I will say. So I want to know a little bit more about you um, and what you're doing right now. Well, we are busy building up our production and getting our product to the market. Uh, We have a, we use a pheromone from microscopic roundworms called nematodes to control agricultural pests. And we have two products that we're bringing into market. First one is something called, we call nemostim. It makes beneficial nematodes more effective by telling them that they need to go out and find and infect insects. And the second product that we're bringing to market is Ferrocoat, which is a seed treatment that prevents plant parasitic nematodes from attacking our uh, plants in the soil. And so as far as our uh, production goes, that's the really thing that's holding us up. We've got lots of people that want to try these products out and they want to buy them, but we can't sell them because we need to scale up our production, which is what we're doing now. So for those of us who don't know, what exactly is a nematode? I was doing a little bit of... I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I just, I am not super techie. So sometimes I just need to kind of dumb things down to be plain. Mm -hmm. It's okay. This is not something that's unusual. And generally, I... uh, explain that to somebody before I really dive into what I'm doing. But the, so a nematode is a microscopic roundworm. It's not just microscopic. Once we work with our microscopic, but it is a roundworm and most of them are eat other things. So the vast, there are millions and millions of nematodes in the world. They uh, live in the soil. They live in the, uh, in animals. They live in plants. They live everywhere. They live even so far down as a mile underground. And, uh, they are very resilient organisms. They are fairly simple. And uh, they're actually probably the most populous animal on the face of the planet. That's very interesting, especially because I didn't really know what a, a nematode was. But when you're saying that this technology targets nematode behavior, what do you really mean by that? Does it go in and alter how like a nematode would think? Or I don't even know if they think, but, you know, just how do they really target that behavior? Well, it does sort of alter how they think uh, or what they think. Yeah, what they do, they use these pheromones to communicate with each other. 
And what we're doing is kind of hijacking their system and telling them things that we want them to know. So in the case of our uh, first project, NEMA-STEM, the uh, nematodes we focus on are called entomopathogenic nematodes, which means they go and uh, they transfer a pathogen to insects. So they have their own symbiotic bacteria that they carry around with them. And this back, they go into an insect, they release the bacteria, the bacteria kills the insect, they eat the bacteria, reproduce, and then when they're out of food, they use pheromones to tell each other that they're out of food and they need to go out and find a new host. So we take that pheromone signal that they, uh, they use to tell, them, tell each other that they need to go out and find a new host and we capture it. And then when we apply it back to them before we apply these very same beneficial nematodes to, the, to a field to control insects that are um, destroying crops. And in this case, we are telling them that they need to go out and find more insects, that they need to move around and search and hunt. So that's one behavior that we're working on. There actually it's two behaviors in one. It is uh, dispersal and infectivity. So that's what we're doing with the pheromones. We're manipulating their behavior by uh, telling them the conditions they should be thinking about. We're kind of uh, pre-priming them for uh, action. Gotcha. And I think this is very interesting because from what I see on your website, this is controlling up to 25 insect pests. Is that correct? Yes. And these are, uh, there are probably more pests that they, these insects do or these nematodes attack. This is just the ones that we found solid scientific evidence for. And, you know, one thing that your website mentions is that they're controlling agricultural pests. So can anyone really use your products? You know, does it matter if they're doing row crops, specialty crops? Is it really, um, you know, a specialized kind of niche audience that you guys are trying to reach? Uh, well, we're focusing on the agricultural market because it's a, uh, it's a large market. And they're fairly, they understand what we're doing, I think. The, there are lots of people that can use these products. There's been, uh, there's turf grass. Anybody that's got a lawn and has them eaten up by uh, white grubs might be interested in using beneficial nematodes to treat them. As a matter of fact, they're very popular in Canada because the Canadian government has banned many of their pesticides, actually the vast majority of the pesticides that were used to control white grubs in turf. So uh, you can do that if you're do, dealing with your lawn. Uh, people use them to control fleas. And uh, as far as agricultural pests go, they are used to control thrips in greenhouses. We have a, who just signed a, uh, we're working with the uh, Cornell Extension in Geneva, New York to test them on uh, cucumber beetles and see if we can make that happen. And uh, there are quite a few different pests that uh, eat our crops that, we've, that people use to uh, these things to control. And our pheromone products make the nematodes work better for that. So what does the future kind of look like for Farinim? Is there a timeline that you guys are trying to stick to? We're really just worried about, um, you know, ramping up production in the meantime. Our timeline is to 
get our production to a point where we can sell the uh, beneficial nematode pheromones in a year. So a year from now, we expect to have enough production that we can sell it to people that want to use it. Awesome. Well, Carl, if any of our listeners want to look a little bit more into Theranim and hopefully look at your products when they hit the markets, where can they find you guys at online? Well, we've got a website. It's Theranim.com, spelled P-H-E-R-O-N-Y-M dot C-O-M. And you can look on our website to find information about what we're doing. You can also email me. Uh, you'll be able to click the contact us link or actually just find my email address on the website and you'll be able to send me an email and ask about that. Awesome. Well, Carl, thank you again once more for coming on and talking to us about Theranin. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been great. Well, thanks again there to Carl for coming on and chatting with us about Farinim, some really cool things that are going on over there. And Delaney, I feel so silly because we were doing a Tech Tuesday, you know, earlier this week as well. And I referred to something as being really techy. And I feel like I didn't sound very proper, but I got to say a lot of this new technology that they are coming out with sometimes go a little bit over my head. So I'm glad that we get to have these conversations that we get to learn from as well as our audience. Yes, there certainly are some pretty high level conversations that we're having. And folks, I got to be honest, I don't understand everything. Ashton doesn't understand everything, but we're trying to ask those questions to make sure you understand everything. We'll be having one more podcast tomorrow. So be sure to tune in with us. But until then, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.